Hello and welcome to Delving to Draft. This is episode 39, recorded the 26th of September 2013. My name's Craig and I'm one of your hosts. Joining me this week is... Dan! News! We have seen the Face the Hydra deck, which will be the game day event, uh, which you're using all your hero cards at. We want to talk about it, but because we know it could be a spoiler, whilst we're going to record it right now, for the powers of editing, we're going to move it to the end of the show. So anyone who doesn't want to hear about Face the Hydra, second hear the ultra music, switch off to the podcast. Anyone who's interested, keep listening through the ultra music. But yeah, uh, the other thing about game day is, is the mat. The mat has... I've, we've all seen the mat, or some people have seen the mat already. It's the Elspeth one. It looks really nice. Elspeth slaying the Hydra. Yes. And that's slaying, not slayed, because there have been two different artworks which are very close chronologically in the you know in the combat, obviously. Yeah. She's about to kill it. She kills it. <laughs> yes. So this is the one where she's killing, not killed. Yes. <laughs> Still looks very good. It does. So, more news, Craig. More news. Um, the Heroes Path standard format is a thing which is coming to Magic Online because Magic Online does not have the Hydra. It doesn't have the Hydra event. There's no way to play it online. So instead, there's going to be this strange um, standard format which will be available. Now, when you play in your Magic Online pre-releases, you're going to get an avatar which is based... Well, it's a hero card, but it's an avatar. So, yes. you know, um, just like you got the pre-releases, you'll get on the online pre-releases, but it's an avatar, not a hero card. Um, if you participate in one of the online release events, then you'll get the release um, hero card, which is the Harvester. Um, tap, draw a card, then discard a card. So that's as in Paper Magic. However, instead of um, building the standard deck to beat the Hydra, you build a standard deck. You can include, I believe it's one or two of these hero avatars, and you just yes. put it in your deck as it was a regular card, I think it just goes in your main deck, even in your sideboard, because there's a special format um, which you can find on, I think, only the white beta client. I don't think it's on the version 3 client of Magic Online. Oh, no. Unfortunately, um, which is called um, the Hero's Path standard format. Um, so it's a, your standard 60 card, um, standard deck, with your sideboard, but you include your one or your two hero avatars in your main deck. And there will be premier events, uh, there'll be five premier events, in fact, running, um, where you can face the Hydra. Now, this is on the 24th, 25th, 26th, 27th, and 28th of October. So it's five days in a row, one event per day, and each of them will only have a single champion. And the single champions will all advance to a face the Hydra challenge finals, which will be held between October the 30th and October the 6th, to be arranged with the champions. Now, hmm. the preliminaries, as they are called, um, as I say, these are five days consecutively. Um, they're starting at different times, and you can find the article on the Mothership. It was um, the 23rd of September 2013 by Mike Turian, called Heopath Standard Format Face Hydro Challenge. It tells you the times there. Um, it's six event tickets to enter. You need the Heroes Path Standard deck. Um, it'll only allow a maximum of 128 players. Um, so... Not as big as other uh, Premier events, so if you want to get in, register early, I suppose. There'll be seven rounds of Swiss, followed by a top eight. Top eight is three rounds, single elimination, as you'd imagine. And there are prizes for winning. Top prize, of course, allowing you to go into the the finals. Oh, so the finals are a 1v1 challenge against a special deck which has been constructed to be the Hydra. Now, as far as I understand, this is just a standard deck. Yeah, I think Hydra. it's just like patch full of Hydra cards. And it's probably going to have its own special hero avatar. Hmm, interesting. I wonder what it'll do. 
it'll probably do damage equal to the number of hydras or something, maybe? Quite possibly. Um, and then, there's, sorry, there's going to be five finals for each of the five champions. And if three out of the five champions win, then each champion will receive a Hydra avatar, and every player who logged in between October the 4th and November the 6th will also receive the Hydra avatar. Oh, cool. So it's a bit like um, the Champions Cup, where, you know, the, the community has to win, or our champions have to defeat the Hydra for us to all reap the benefits. That's quite an interesting idea. Yeah, so there's a bit of a community feel. And yeah, that's what they're doing instead of the uh, Face of Hydra Challenge deck you'll have at your stores in game day. So, each player tournament is basically just standard decks playing against each other, but they can use the hero cards. Yeah. Kind of like Vanguard. Indeed. Yeah, cool. That's an interesting idea. It might be worth trying that in uh, person with your friends with hero cards and seeing how it goes. Yeah, it could be interesting. And um, the rewards for playing are quite decent. Um, the prize breakdown for the finals, so if you happen to win one of the preliminaries and you enter the final, if you win, you'll get a complete set of foil Theros cards. Ooh, that's nice. But if you lose, you'll get a complete set of Theros cards. Non-foil, but still a complete set of Theros. Hmm. So... Aside from uh, your 15 booster packs, which you get if you win, and your 6 QPs if you win the preliminary, you're at least walking away with 4 of everything in Theros. The question is, is it foil or is it not? You had to get it in there somewhere, didn't you? Well, is it as the best guild? <laughs> this is fair. I do quite like them myself, so I, I find it hard to argue with you when you when you go on your is it rampages. Good, good. <laughs> I'm right, and we all know this. Um, now, if, sorry, one other thing. If you happen to play in one of these Hero Path standard events, you'll also get the Slayer Hero Avatar, which basically says you start the game with additional 7 life, which will undoubtedly become useful in future Magic Online events, and that's, of course, the same as the physical hero card you'll get when you face a Hydra and defeat it in person. Hmm. So you get some anyway, at least? Yes. Yes, so you'll be better prepared come next time. You are not prepared. <laughs> Well, you'll be more prepared if you play, even if you don't win. This is true. Right, next piece of news. For anyone going to Pro Tour Dublin, (laughs) this will be relevant. And for everyone else, it may not be quite so relevant. Basically, there's going to be an air traffic controller strike on October the 10th, which I believe is a day before the Pro Tour is meant to start. Yeah. Um, So what this means is, because some players may not be able to actually get in on time... The Pro Tour may be delayed. Now, it's not going to happen on a different weekend because that would be too insane. But what may happen is instead of starting on the Friday, which is October the 11th, what may happen instead is that it may start later on the Friday because normally it's going to start Friday morning. Yes. It may start a Friday evening or if things are really bad, the Pro Tour may actually start on Saturday. Now, if you're going to the Pro Tour, you probably already know about this. You have been emailed. But for people who want to watch... Possible, you get a work, you've put on your stream, you expect to start watching, you know, the first rounds of the Pro Tour. That may not happen until the evening, it may not even happen until the weekend begins. So just be aware that if you're wondering, well, where's Pro Tour Theros on the 11th of October? Well, it's possibly been delayed. Now, they haven't specifically clarified, well, they, they've given an idea of what may happen. They may have to cut rounds as a, as, you know, as a worst option, but ideally they want to preserve the 16 round tournament. So hopefully we'll still see all the magic we expect. It's just that it may be at a different time, so don't get too panicky. Yeah, seems fair. Um, We will know, apparently, 
11.30 Dublin time, that's um, GMT plus one at the moment, I believe, uh, on a Thursday, you will know then what is going to happen, which schedule will be used. So they'll work out on Thursday what's going to happen. But just be aware of this other thing. The Pro Tour may end up being a two-day Pro Tour or two-and-a-half-day Pro Tour rather than a regular three-day Pro Tour. This is because of damn European air traffic controllers. Have a go at them or have a go at the reasons that they're striking for. Of course, this does mean more rounds per day for the players at the event, which when you're playing at that level and you're kind of having to think about so much, it can be quite tiring to play a lot of rounds. So, so stamina may come into this a bit more than... Yeah, it might be months. interesting to see if that changes anything with some of the players. I know, I think it was PV, uh, Pula Vitor Damodorosa that was uh, commenting on it on Twitter um, saying that he didn't look forward to larger round, a uh, larger number of rounds per day. So I'm not sure how other people feel about this, but there's at least some response saying that they do think it's definitely going to make a difference to their play. Yeah, I'd imagine so. I mean, just yeah, it's, it's just going to be exhausting. Yeah, but still, hey, they're at the pro tour. They can't. They don't deserve to complain. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if you say that when you get there. It went. <laughs> yeah, it went. Optimus. Yes, okay. So one of the ways you could get to the Pro Tour is by going to a Grand Prix, and uh, specifically a team Grand Prix. There are four coming up in the 2014 Grand Prix season, of which apparently I'm going to Barcelona, hopefully as a judge, potentially as a player. I've no idea who my wife thinks is going to be the third. I don't well, know if you realise it's a team Grand Prix. I can't say I'd be against it. <laughs> well, if I'm not judging, then the three of us can go play as a team. This seems good. Anyways, why am I talking about Team Grand Prix? Um, mentioned last time that they've changed the prize payout for regular Grand Prix. They've now announced the team payouts um, at Team Grand Prix. So I'm not quite sure what the money was before, but basically they've increased the prize pool. And just like they did with the new Grand Prix prizes, if it goes above, ooh, actually, if it goes above 800, te- no, 400 teams, which is 12,000 players, like it is for the regular Grand Prix, they're going to increase how many prizes they give out. And if it goes above 800 teams, they're going to increase again how many teams get paid out. So they're basically doing the same thing as doing with the um, yeah. individual Grand Prix. Basically, the money at all tiers has been raised slightly, or you know, a bit. And also, if it gets too big, they'll basically add extra prizes. So if it goes above 800 teams, which is 2,400 players, there'll be prizes down to Team 51. So 100 and... Uh, 153 players will get prizes, effectively. Mm, yes. But that's only relevant if you're heading off to Barcelona, Sao Paulo, Portland, or Nashville in 2014. Oh, sorry, this also started Grand Prix Kyoto, which is in November, so... Well, that's the team field is a fantastic format, so it would be a great thing to go to a GP to do. Although, I feel like it depends on who your friends are, because there's some... If you've not done team events with them before... Um, it can be quite a lot of pressure um, if you're kind of expected to win your games and you're letting your friends down and stuff. So uh, there's certainly that aspect to it, but it's, it is a lot of fun to play Team Sealed. Is it okay if I go off on a bit of a... Well, it's related, but it's not news. Okay. But, um, so there was, at the very la- end of last week's show, um, we were deciding whether I should talk about what I did last weekend. And uh, we decided against it because the show would be going out for a little bit. What I did last weekend, which is now the weekend before, um, I was down in Cardiff at an SCG event, which is kind of cool to actually get an SCG event outside of North America, let's be honest. And um, it was a team-sealed format. 
Yes. But you weren't playing, though, were you? No, I was judging. But, um, yeah, that that looked really stressful. I, I was kind of glad I was actually judging because I'm watching the players trying to build their decks, and that seems like a lot of stress. It is a lot more difficult to kind of build the three decks in the time um, because you've got a few extra things kind of affecting how you build the deck as well because... It, no matter who you are, you're going to have some preferences as to certain cards, and you, the other two people in your team probably won't necessarily share it. So you're kind of, as well as trying to make three decks as a team, you're kind of debating over whether you even like some of the cards that are going in the decks. Um, and then there's some people, depending on how you do it, like you've obviously got the option of making all the decks, then attributing them to a player, or you sometimes say you're going to make this kind of deck from this pull, you're going to make this kind of deck, and so on. And kind of people will, will start taking ownership of a deck during deck building. And the thing that then comes up is that maybe more than one person will want the same card, and then you have that problem as well. So it's, it's about kind of trying to work together and come up with three reasonably good decks without kind of letting yourselves fall out in the process. <laughs> so yeah, there is definitely some stress, especially it's something that's a lot more competitive. Um, like, I've only ever played Team Sealed in kind of a side event and a local gaming store, so I've never quite played it at a GP or anything that's a bit more high pressure, so it it will certainly add a lot more stress to it. Yeah, so talking about that, we're, we we may be well doing that in a couple of days' time, aren't we? Yes, um, we're planning on going to a local game store to do a, a release uh, team sealed event for Theros so we'll be sure to comment on that next time and let you know how it goes I am already stressing about this <laughs> and um, the other thing is I already know that uh, Liz our, our partner, my wife she won't be helping much with the, t- the deck building so it's all up to the two of us yeah I, I can imagine it's going to probably be mostly me making the decks if I'm honest I can have input. I find it slightly offensive. That yeah, actually, it's probably true. <laughs> um, just because I tend to do a lot more kind of deck building and stuff. This is well, that be, kind of deck building. Yeah, th- this this is going to be interesting. I, I kind of I look forward morbidly to talking about this next show, um, but I'm still worrying about actually having to do this. And uh, the one thing I would like to also say actually is that um, it is basically nigh on impossible to have one person build all three decks within the time limit that you have. That's fine. So that's not happening. I can be involved. It's cool. We do need we do need at least two people working on the decks. So I'm sure I'm sure you will be involved. Yeah. One of the interesting things about the team format is you're you're playing three games simultaneously side by side and um one of the things you do need to do is you need to decide who player A, B and C is. And a sits on one side, C sits on the other, and B is stuck in the middle, and A plays A and B plays B and C plays C against the two teams. There's there's some importance about who's in the middle, because obviously they're the one who can most easily give advice to the two people in the wings. It's obviously hard for A and C to talk to each other opposite sides of the table. Yeah, without at least kind of giving everything away. <laughs> yeah. Like, trying to... The hardest part, I think, about team theory is when you're talking... Obviously, a GP, you might actually not be talking the same language as the person that you're in front of, but odds are, if you're speaking English, they will understand you. So you have to kind of speak in a way that they don't know everything that you're doing, which can be sometimes quite awkward. So sometimes you end up kind of trying to do some kind of sign language where you point at cards and then kind of whisper a couple of words that will make sense to your 
partner, but not to the people in front of you. So it, it can be quite funny trying to communicate without letting everything out of the bag. Yeah, I I don't... I'm not sure how this is going to work for well, us. Usually, I would almost always recommend that the, the three players play their own game and only ask if it's something particularly iffy that they don't know about. Mm. Because another thing is, even with like Team Sealed, ten, the rounds tend to be longer, but there's still a definite time limit. Um, and it's easy to go to time if you spend far too much time um, talking about every single action in all three of the games. It's just not worth like wasting time over small decisions, really. Now, talking my capacity as a judge, one of the things we were very strictly told by the head judge um, down at Cardiff was we very much have to watch out for slow play because obviously games can really slow down if you know it's it's some tense, you know it's it's in the middle of battle, you know blockers have been declared and both teams are trying to work out what combat tricks do we want to do. Maybe it's the last game which is being played and it's already one on one, and then you know all three members on both teams are actually just talking and the games just ground to a halt as you know they both want to have like their minutes long conversations. Yeah, that is the worst part, actually, when you do get down to that last game, because it, usually if you get to the last game, it's going to be 1-1, and that's going to be decider, because if it's already 2-0 in favour of one team, there's no point playing the last game, really. Um, so a lot of people just generally stop after that. Yeah, we were encouraged to basically, we, we told players, you know, if you know it's 2-0 and the third game's being played, the third game actually doesn't make a difference, like, not even for tiebreakers in team No, because that, that doesn't ever really matter for anything um but the thing is like because of that you always end up with the last match having three players on either side and then it's so crucial that each team wins that match that they just want to talk about every single decision and it does really slow down one other thing i noticed um again because i was was judging dear goodness make sure you get your deck list in on time because guess what i had to do (laughs) <laughs> a few minutes after time had been called, and I was a bit lenient, like time had been called, it was, it was sort of like, you got two minutes left to hand in deck lists, and I was mobbed for about five minutes taking in deck lists. However, you know, I, I put the deck list over to the deck list team, I came back into the hall, and this person approached me and went, here's my deck list. And I was, I just looked at the three deck lists, the team uh, pool, and I was just like, you know, this is after the time, you will be getting game loss. Your team will be getting a game loss. So in their first game, it was the case that each of them were down a game. Which is a massive penalty in, in a team event compared to normal. Yeah, that means two of the people on your team have to go, t- have to win the next two games in a row. There can yes. be no mistakes. No one somewhat, can, somewhat difficult. <laughs> one person can lose a game, the other two have all the stress at that point. Well, then again, the other, the, the person who lost the game is also getting a bit of a slap, but <laughs> make sure you get your stuff in on time. Well, whilst, you know, if somebody makes a mistake in the game, it will be that individual player who will get a penalty. If it's something like deck lists, the entire team is going to suffer if the team's deck lists are not in on time. So that is very important. And you do tend to have an hour to build your decks. That goes by real quick. Oh, it does. It definitely does go by a lot quicker than you expect it to. Um, last event I was at, we had kind of one deck polished off by about the 30-minute mark. But then the other two decks still had to get kind of bit. There was kind of a framework in place, but they were obviously the harder ones to build because that's why we'd kind of went, all right, okay, this one's easy, let's get out of the way. Um, so we had the other two to build, and it was just like, as we were approaching the time, it got really stressful because one of our decks only had um, 16 cards in it, and we ended up having to take some cards 
from the deck that we'd thought was completely finished in order to make that card, that deck reasonable and then add some cards in from the other color of the first deck. Um, to bring that one back up to the, the, the required number of cards. So yeah, it was a bit crazy. Um, so the, the time goes far quicker than you expect it to. An hour really is not that long when you've got to build three decks. I mean, if you compare it to a one person event, it's like half an hour for one deck usually. Um, so it's quite, quite a lot more to get done in that time. Yeah. Um, also just as a note in case you've never played in a team event and maybe at some stage you want to, you do only get 50 minutes. It's a regular amount of time because each person's just playing their own separate game. I mean, yes, there's communication and that does slow things down, although it shouldn't. Mm. You still only get the regular 50 minutes. The quirk is that the cutoff is generally top four and not top eight. Yeah, because you can really have the idea that it would preferably be eight players, I guess, but that wouldn't work because then you would have two and almost three teams. So I think that's why they go for the four. It's the same with, I think, two-headed giant events. Um, yeah, I think so, but I'm not 100% on that. I think they, well, who knows the rules for two-headed giant? <laughs> but the idea is if anyone's ever run a two-headed giant event, if someone asks a question, just make something up. Um, because <laughs> it's two-headed giant, so it doesn't matter anyway. And either way, nobody's going to know whether you were right or wrong. <laughs> Um, I noticed a post uh, yesterday from uh, Charlotte Sable, who's the host of JudgeCast North, and she was going, what topics would you like me and um, my guest to discuss this week? And I just went, two-headed giant, everything two-headed giant. <laughs> I was just like, oh, that, so mean. that is a topic I want to hear discussed. Um, I have no idea if that's what they've done, but um, hopefully, because two-headed giant, oh, that, that is, um, that's fun. Yeah. It's just because it's, it's only ever a casual event, so it's just so unimportant if you're wanting to judge bigger events that most people don't bother paying attention to it. Uh, and even as a player, you don't get the opportunity to play it very often, usually, so um, just trying to even know the rules yourself can be quite difficult. Talking about rules which you seldom get asked. Um, so yeah, I was at this SCG event and it was a team format. However, there was a side event going on for uh, the Bazaar of Moxon, which I believe is an annual event run in Paris and it's uh, Vintage and its Legacy. Yes. And um, this was, uh, I'm going to get this wrong. I'm going to say Vintage, maybe in Legacy, um, whichever one has the more cards in the format. Yeah, that's Vintage. Yeah, so um, ended up there was a side event and I got approached by the head judge going, so we need someone to run this. Would you be willing? Um, so I ended up head judging this vintage event. Not going to go into that in too much depth because nothing to do with limited, but one of the questions which I got asked was, how does phasing work? <laughs> and I just closed my eyes, I sighed, I looked at the player and just went, right. Yeah, phasing. That's that's another question which seldom comes up, and then you get asked at some random event and just go, oh, "Really, really phasing? Did you have to?" Yeah, it has come up for me once before actually. Uh, when I was at GP London, um, it came up in the chaos draft. That I remember that, and I think the judge had a very similar attitude. Yes, <laughs> where it's just like phasing, really. Oh. Yeah, he kind of looked it up and gave us an answer, which was nice of him, but. I don't think it would have mattered either way. Like, I think it would have been as well just saying something random and just letting us play it like that, because, to be honest, the the subtleties of phasing don't necessarily change how well it plays either way. That actually did come up, the subtleties, because phasing happens during untap, 
Yeah. Somebody tried to do something during their untap step where you do not get priority even if phasing is happening. So that, that the minutia actually did come up. But one good thing about being the head judge of that side event, no matter what I said was right, because head judges are always right. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I, I told them what the rules were, and I, I watched the game for a bit to make sure things were going smoothly. But, yeah, being the head judge was good, because even if I did make a subtle mistake, I'm not wrong. Head judges are always right. Hey. Nice. Uh, the reason that ours was complicated was because there was equipment involved, and oh. phasing was way before equipment, so most people haven't ever had to worry about what happens with equipment on phasing creatures. Yeah. Um, I think, I can't even remember right now what the answer is as to whether it phases with the creature or if it doesn't. It does, I seem to recall. Right, okay, so <laughs> uh, I think the same happens with enchantments as well, so it can be quite weird how it all ties together. Yeah, there's direct and indirect phasing. Don't ask me the difference, but that has to do with equipment and auras being attached to creatures. Anyways, let's end this phasing discussion, shall we? Yes. Nobody listening needs to know how phasing works. Not really. They, Even if they think they need to know how it works, they don't. Just make it up as you go along. Although now that I've been asked, if you ever are in a tournament, phasing comes up, raise your hand, shout judge and go, judge, how does phasing work? <laughs> I've suffered that indignity. Make other judges suffer too. <laughs> right. Why not? Uh, we were meant to be somewhere in the news. Let us continue. There's one last piece of news to talk about. Okay. Um, a new um, show has come out. Well, it's it's a YouTube show, so I don't know if you would call that a show. A vodcast? No, it's not a vodcast. Let's not use horrible portmanteau words. There's a new show out on YouTube. It's called Spell Slingers, and it stars um, Sean Plot, aka Day Nine, for anyone who watches esports, basically. And it's sort of like a, it's him playing against other people in games of Magic with relatively straightforward decks, and it's it feels like like a video introduction to Magic, a bit like Jewel Planeswalkers is a gaming introduction to Magic. Yeah, well, the thing is, the first one was very much like that in terms of it had to explain a lot of the basics. Yeah. So I'm a bit intrigued as to whether it's going to remain like that or after a couple of episodes it's kind of going to get to the point where they assume their viewers know enough that they can just kind of play for funny interactions and things. It's hard to tell. I, I mean, I don't know. I think we've only got the one show. It's it's um, yeah. every Monday, I believe, it's being released. And um, the first one was actually quite enjoyable. I quite enjoyed it um, mm. because there's a bit of acting involved. Like it's not over, it's not terribly over the top, but you know, it's sort of like, yeah, I'm going to kill your creature now, or like lightning bolt to the face. I mean, it's that sort of interaction. You know, that really casual tabletop, two friends having a good time sort of interaction, which is good because that definitely makes much better. Well, I was going to say television, but YouTubing, I guess. It's not complicated. Anybody looking to learn from it is not going to unless you are just starting out. But it's, it's, it seems like a good piece of entertainment, and I'm looking forward to seeing. Yeah, it does seem quite good. I mean, it's if you've ever watched much of, as you, you actually said, table there, if you've ever watched much of Tabletop, um, which the very board games, um, it's it actually is very similar to that in style, I think. Yeah, so that's um, Will Wheaton on... Uh, it's Geek and Sundry is basically where all these are on, which is a bigger YouTube channel. And yeah, that's where you get Tabletop. This is where you get uh, Spell Slingers and other geek-related stuff. Tabletop, yeah. I really feel, does do a good job of in- introducing the games they show. I think Spell Slingers is doing something very similar. Yeah, they, they feel like very similar shows. It is 
it to me it is basically tabletop does magic, <laughs> but I don't know. Like we'll, we'll see how it develops, but it looks like it's quite entertaining and quite lighthearted. But you know, it'll be it should be fun to watch. Yeah, I I think it's worth a watch. I think I was pleasantly surprised. I didn't have very high expectations going in because, well, I know Day Nine recently got invited to one of the recent pro tours and basically failed. Yeah, I wasn't too surprised about, but then when I heard he was doing a show, I'm a bit like. Okay, this is going to be interesting, but he's he's found his niche for it, which is you know educational and entertainment. So ed- edutainment, another <laughs> horrible portmanteau word. Well done. I, I'm I'm all about the portmanteau words today. I don't know. Why not? Okay. Um, as long as you only do it for one day, that that's fine. Uh, so not for day nine. <laughs> Sorry, that was terrible. <laughs> No, that that was that was there. I, I'll give you that one. You couldn't really mess that one. Awesome. <laughs> uh, right. Let us move on to bring that card. Right. I have a card in front of me. Is it Voyager's End? <laughs> it is not Voyager's End. I mean, I'm going to get it right one of these days. It's going to be really awesome. Uh, what's Voyager's End again? That's an instant, isn't it? It's the bounce spell. Yeah, it's an instant. Uh, this is an instant I have in my hand. Mm, lightning strike. It's not lightning strike. Mm. Uh, it's a common. Oh. Um, Triton Tactics. Not Triton Tactics. I want to talk about that card later. I'm not a big fan. Um, <laughs> like Triton Tactics, it has two words in the name. Oh. Um, Magma Jet. Not Magma Jet. Magma Jet, is that one in a red? Yes. Well, this is actually one in a white. Oh. Hmm. Hmm. I've not played white as much. I can't remember some of the things. Oh, God's Willing. No, it's one in a white. God, God's Willing is white. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, um... Hmm. I do have some flavour text. Okay, that might help. It's never good to walk into an ambush, but with the right spell you might walk out again. Oh, I do recognise this. Oh... I don't need another one. I don't need another clue. <laughs> I should know this. I actually know what card it is. It's the one that gives a creature plus two plus two in scry. Yes. Yes. Battle Wise Valor. Ah, there we go. I could, I would not have remembered that name. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> the soldier is hiding underneath the magical shield, which is impaled with arrows. Yeah, it's quite cool. I mean, honestly, if you consider that it gives a creature plus two plus two. I'm not sure that plus two defense was really enough to stop like 20 arrows, but it is still quite cool artwork. <laughs> Just from a flavor point, it doesn't quite fit. Very good card. I mean, plus two, plus two, sure, it's no giant growth, but you're in white, not uh, green. And scrying one, a nice tag on, but key thing, nice cheap heroic enabler. Yeah, it is a lot better than the same spell would be in another set. I mean, in another set, plus two, plus two for one in a white is actually a fairly baseline effect for a combat trick in white, and it's quite good. Um, there's nothing wrong with it. But in this set, because you've got so much heroic stuff, and it get, has scry one in the end, it is a lot more valuable. Like, if you actually play this in a f- fairly late part of the game, like, for, for a white weenie deck, it would probably actually be, like, turn six. Um, you've probably got all the land that you need already, so it's basically scry one, uh, draw one at that point if you've got a land on top. Um, in fact, this kind of isn't completely related, but in talking about the scry mechanic, um, someone was saying something to me 
the other day, which I thought was really good, in that the way to evaluate it is if you think how much of your deck is dead, um, then Scry is precisely that percentage of a card. So with half your land, half your deck being land, and half of it not being land, approximately, if you don't want any more land, Scry 1 is basically draw half a card. Hmm, okay, that's an interesting way of looking at it. So I thought that was quite a good way to evaluate it. It, it is mostly true, so it's quite good. But yeah, I like that card. It's, I've played it once over the course of the release weekend, uh, pre-release weekend, and it, it, I can't even remember how good it was for me at the time, but it's a decent spell. I'm not sure if I've played it. I definitely had it in my deck. As I say, it's in my hand, because I've got my pre-release deck in front of me, so... Uh, yeah, that de- does help. Definitely in my deck, but I'm not, I can't remember if I've played it, but I would imagine it would be pretty cool, especially in my deck. Okay. It probably would. Alright, um, I have a card in front of me. Excellent. It is... Abhorrent Overlord. No, but it is a rare. Oh, okay. Um, hmm, hundred-handed one. No. What am I going to say about it? I think the best thing that's indexed about this card is I really don't like it. And there's a reason I really don't like it. And the, the abilities are the reason I really don't like it. Okay, um... Agent of Fates? No, I do like that card. That's a very cool card. I had that in my pre-release deck, and it was awesome. Okay. Especially with Triton Tactics. (laughs) Triton Tactics, ugh. Okay. This is a green card. Uh, You don't like it for its ability. It's not the Bow of Nihilie, is it? It isn't. Okay. I I actually quite think I like that ability. I don't think it's very good flavor-wise. Like, apparently, the four effects are supposed to represent the four seasons, but I don't see how any of them ties to a specific season or anything, so it's a bit weird. But <laughs> you full thinking. It seems like a fun card to play, so like, it, it has that, whereas this doesn't. <laughs> I just don't like it. Okay. Uh, it's a creature. I'll tell you that. See if that helps. It goes against everything I like about magic. I'm struggling. Uh, what do you detest about magic? I can't think of anything off the top of my head. No, no, it's it's not what I detest about magic. It's it goes against everything I like about magic. Not everything. Most of the things I like you, about magic. You like drawing cards and you like milling people. Um, oh, it's not the uh, oh that snake which gets cheaper based on how many creatures are in its graveyard. Mm, it's not Nemesis Mortals. That's called yes. Also, that card is insane. It's impossible to beat in limited. Okay. Uh, not impossible, but it's just insane. It should not be that good. Okay. I, I feel like I'm going to have to be somewhere here. Okay. Uh, it doesn't have play- flavor text, so that's going to make it a bit more awkward. It has something to do with plus one, plus one counters. The only thing I can think of is the centaur, but I don't think it's a rare centaur, which gets like three plus one, plus one counters on it. Um... That's not a rare, but it feels like a rare when you're playing against someone who has a lot of a lot of things to target with. Uh, uh, okay. One plus one. Uh, I, th- I think we'll, we'll have to go down a slightly different line to avoid giving it away completely. Okay. What do you think my favourite thing in Magic is? Drawing cards. Okay. In blue. Yes. Blue. Yes. Uh... Protection from blue? Yes. That's not the only thing it doesn't like about blue. 
Blue likes uh, milling. Um, Not that one. <laughs> Blue likes drawing cards, milling. Um, it's the other big one. <laughs> flyers. Okay, not that big one. <laughs> a different big one. Okay, so it's out of reach. Um, what else? Uh, uh, can't be countered? Yes. Some of the probably can't be countered. I feel this narrows it down to a single card. I cannot, I can't think of what the card is. <laughs> uh, it has haste. Uh, I, I, Storm Breath Dragon? That's in red. I, I don't know. I can't think. It's power zero. Power zero? Yes. Um, um. It's toughness is zero. What? I don't. I do with plus one plus one counters. Clone. <laughs> I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. It's a Hydra. Good for it. I don't know. Uh, I, I, gen, I, I genuinely do not know. Just hard. <laughs> I, I can't think. I, I, this just must be a card I somehow haven't looked at or forgotten about. I don't know. Uh, it's Miss Cutter Hydra. Okay. I, uh, <laughs> give me a sec. Let me look this up. Oh, the re- oh yeah, the red, oh, the purple ready hydra. Th- oh, okay. I, yeah, no. Yeah, I, I, I picked a very hard card to not spoil. I, I, clues, I, unless you already kind of, unless you didn't know about the card. I but, evidently didn't know about the card. Yeah, because if you did know about the card, almost everything about it is a giveaway. Because it's the only X green spell. Right. It's the only power and toughness zero spell. Right. It's the only rare with power zero. Yeah. And it's the only thing that's got protection from blue and can't be countered. <laughs> There's really not very many other things. It was probably a terrible choice to try and give. But, and, and yet somehow I had no idea about the card, so it worked out perfectly yeah. fine in the end. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I recognise the artwork, which is hilarious, but, yeah. Well, the artwork was revealed a bit before the card was, I think. I think mm. it was one of the artworks that was up there in the image galleries. Yeah. <sighs> well, that was quite an effort. <laughs> <laughs> I do apologise. It, it just clearly slipped my mind that that thing existed. Yeah, I, I'm, I was probably being a bit too vague to begin with as well so even if you did know it existed it probably would have taken you a while Everything you, you like drawing cards that's that's your primary joy right so yeah but a big gnarly green creature that I can't deal with is going to stop me from drawing cards very quickly as well oh, this is true <laughs> so yeah it's 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 not so fun mm. it I, had, I haven't played against it yet but I, I don't look forward to playing against it <laughs> the annoying part was on day t- to the pre-release, I was I opened I had a I had a blue pack, and before I opened most of the boosters, two people had already opened a miscut hydrate sitting near me, Ooh. and it's a small pre-release. And I'm like, this is gonna be fun. However, on the bright side, I didn't even end up playing blue, so it worked out. All it right kind of nice. worked out, except for I didn't get to play blue, but it it, it was okay. Right, so talk about the pre-releases. Yeah, that probably brings us on to our main topic. Yay! So, how many pre-releases did you end up going to? I ended up going to two. One on each of the Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, I ended up with one. The reason the last show was delayed, and maybe the reason this show will come out a little bit late, is um, I've been moving recently, and um, I got an email on the Friday, I think, 
basically saying I had to make our old flat um, presentable by the end of the weekend. So my entire weekend basically fell apart. I was able to get to one pre-release, but I didn't go to Friday Night Magic, didn't go to the second pre-release, didn't get to do any drafts afterwards, which I was really gutted about. So my pre-release knowledge, um, I'm a little bit jaded because I barely got to play anything, but and I've only been to one, so um, you may have to lead the charge on some of this. But we were both at the Saturday one. We were. And you picked blue. I picked blue both days. <laughs> um, I picked white. I went for my age-old classic of if there are a number of promo cards to pick, pick the prettiest one. And I believe and it was also the best one. Yeah, I would probably say so as well. So I have my promo celestial archon in front of me in all its glory. Yeah, I got two celestial archons. Neither promo. I got two celestial archons. One was a promo, and the other one I opened, which was pretty nice. In the in that pack. Or, as in, did you have it in your pre-release pool? In the pool, I opened the second Celestial Archon. They were That's both, quite nice. They were both in my deck. Wow, that is quite strong. Yeah. Although I only ever cast that thing twice, and once it died immediately to... Um, well, I didn't cast it, I bestowed it. And it d- died immediately to enchantment removal, which was kind of gotten. Um, so I played it, I played it quite a lot. I mean, having two makes it a lot easier to actually play some of them. Bestowed it sometimes, played it out sometimes... But there was twice against the same person in two subsequent games where I played it, and then the turn after, the... Is it Arbor Colossus, which destroys a flying creature? Yep. <laughs> I walked into Arbor Colossus twice against the same person in two subsequent games. <laughs> that is a bit of an achievement. <laughs> um, that was particularly special, um, to say the least, and uh, I was pretty miffed about it. Um, because it was obviously... The Arbor Colossus was on the board when I played the Celestial Archon, and they only need one more mana to make it monstrous. <laughs> so I was just being stupid, but uh, otherwise yes. it did a lot of work. I mean, just a 4-4 four, four flying first strike is reasonably hard to deal with, because it's one of the bigger flyers. It is. It's actually... Uh, the fact that it's got first strike makes a difference as well, because there's a couple of 4-4s, four um, but it manages to then battle quite well with those. Um, there's a couple with power, uh, with toughness five that can't get past but don't kill it, um, and then there's of course the red rare that um, has protection from white, so doesn't care about the fact that they're exactly the same size. So there's a couple other rares that do that are bigger than it, but there's not really much below rare that can stand in its way. Uh, Coastline Chimera can. Um, I yeah. actually opened three of those in my pool, and I was so tempted to go with blue as my other colour alongside white because one five in the air being able to block an additional creature for a meager two mana that seemed really good but ultimately my deck lacked the punch of removal spells so I had to go and side with red. Mm. Ah okay so you went white red. Yeah but I was I was mostly white. I think I've got 18 white cards no 19 white cards 3 red cards and the one multicoloured Boros card annexed inside midi. Ah, and I was thinking it was going to be the rubbish multicolored, well, not rubbish, but a bit more mediocre <laughs> Boros card, but no, it's in fact the rare. The oh, good and Anax and Siamini did a lot of work. Um, this deck had a lot going for it. It was heroic-based, I would say. Yeah. Um had a Flanix leader, the two-drop, which whenever you target it, you put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control. Yes. Um, Anax and Siamidi, of course, whenever you target them, they give every creature you have plus one, plus one, and trample until end of turn. And then I had um, 
what coordinated assault the red card which gives two creatures plus one and uh, plus one and fire strike yeah um, dauntless assault which is the white version it gives uh, two creatures plus two plus two nice. I've also already mentioned the battlewise valor um, I had four bestow creatures my double uh, celestial archon my double hopeful alidons um, God's Willing, which was basically there just a heroic enabler chosen by Heliod. Yeah, a, a f- quite a few heroic enablers. So, combat with heroic is really weird. Yeah, it makes it very difficult for your opponent to know what to do. Yeah, there were times when, you know, attacking with like three of my guys and, you know, what, like, one guy would be blocked and I'd pump the other two up because they <laughs> gave benefits to the guy being blocked. So, more damage would get through by pumping the guys who are unblocked, but I'd still pump the guy being blocked without even targeting him and kill the creature blocking it. Man, yeah. And, like, one Phalanx leader and one Anax and Simidi, and then just, like, wow, anything else getting blocked just gets huge. (laughs) Yeah, or you you just target it and then one of the other ones, because, you know, it pumps away plus one, plus one, whether that's permanent or not, and trample it, and whatever, but... It, yeah, it's, it's those cards which give two target creatures some benefit are super important for the heroic deck. They were all stars. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think a lot of them do quite a lot anyway, mm. especially the red and blue ones. Although, like, they're all very good. The black one is probably the weakest in a vacuum, um, mostly because there aren't any really black heroic cards for list, apart from the rare. Um, Agent of Fates, but uh, the red and blue, I, I saw like blown people out all day. It was they were really good, um, especially the blue one. The blue one is by far the most annoying to play against. Oh, try, uh, try some <laughs> tactics. Yeah, now, this, this card. So for a single blue, and this is an uncommon. It's an instant. Uh, up to two target creatures each get plus O plus three until end of turn. Then untap those creatures, and then also at the turn's next end of combat, tap each creature that was blocked by one of those creatures this turn, and it doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. This card is doing so much work for one blue mana, and the other problem, to be honest, is actually, it's really quite wordy. Yeah, it is a bit. Um, like, I did notice a few times people didn't quite read the whole card, um, and they were like, oh, okay. Like when I told them they couldn't untap, <laughs> it was like, oh, <laughs> didn't quite plan for that. Um, so yeah, it's it is very wordy, but it does it does do so much. Um, it didn't. Well, I was playing it in a blue black deck, and it obviously didn't get to trigger heroic very much. It did trigger a couple of times off um, agent of fates, which was very good because that's one of the best heroic triggers. Um, but it was still. Even just untapping two of your creatures as surprise blockers and making them pretty much unkillable goes a long way to making this an awesome card. Oh, it's, yeah, that that yeah, it's the unkillability as well, and just the fact that you know you you attack and oh, it's just it, it ruins combat. Yeah, I would potentially first pick in Feral's Draft. That's how good I, I think it is now. I. Possibly if it's a weak pack, but yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, obviously there's going to be a rare or something there, so that might be better. Um, but uh, I don't know. Like, there's not a lot that I would like over this. I would be very tempted by a couple of the red burn spells. Um, but yeah, it's just too good. <laughs> I gotta say, I do quite like coordinated assault. I could actually see myself first picking that. Yeah, that's that's pretty good as well because it, it does a similar kind of thing, it, but it's better because you're going to get more heroic triggers. And if you can get it, 
a heroic deck with this, then it's going to be quite cheap to get your guys out there, but then it's also really cheap to play heroic. So you can probably play a dude and then have mana for this as well. Yeah. Which, when you want to be playing stuff every turn, is really good. Now, I was lucky enough to pick up a couple of other rares, which happened to fit in my deck. One of the reasons I went for white is because I had a lot of rares, which actually worked with. So, I got a Spear of Heliod. Ooh, nice. Now, that was quite nice. Now, just giving everything plus one, plus one, I really like Anthem Effects. I'm really sad that I haven't been able to play many since... I think M13 was the last time I really properly played with any Anthem Effects, although I did have some fun with the Mayor of Aberbrook. Yeah, and, and, uh, and Path of Bravery, although it didn't quite work out as well as you'd hoped. <laughs> uh, well, I never got a chance to play with it. Oh, okay. Uh, well, at least not as actually a plus one, plus one enabler. I don't think that ever actually happened. So just having something nice and cheap, plus one, plus one to all my creatures, I really like that. The destroy target creature that don't damage you this turn didn't actually come into play that much, but it's, it, I suppose it's a nice rattlesnake. You know, it, If you're going to attack me, make sure it's a, it's a worthy hit. Yeah, it kind of does that. And it also makes it so that um, you can quite happily get into a race because if you're attacking with your creatures and then they're attacking you, you can just kill one of them and it's going to be so much harder for them to kind of keep coming back from that. Yeah. Um, while making your creatures bigger as well. So it, although the abilities seem at odds to each other, they do actually help each other out in some cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it paired well with my... Um of angles of Heliod? Yeah. The six drop, which when it enters play, puts a number of one one white soldier creature tokens onto into play with your devotion to white. So, you know, a pump out a whole bunch of two two soldiers was pretty nice. Yeah, I mean th- that card it seems reasonable already. Not great, but reasonable already in a heavy white deck because you're getting a de- decent number of bodies for your for your mana. Mm-hmm. Like if you get if you've got two devotion already and you play it, then you are actually getting five power on the board and seven toughness for your six mana card, which is fine. And it has so much more upside than that as well, because that's only with two devotion. Um, but yeah, with the, with the spear, it's insane because then you're guaranteed to have at least two devotion when you play this. And it does so much more because it makes everything double the power. So it's, it's then essentially going to be eight power which is a lot. <laughs> yeah. Now, my last rare, not white, not red, colourless actually, and surprisingly really good. I did not think much of this card. Nykthos Shrine to Nyx. Hmm. Um, this is the rare legendary land that you can either tap for one colourless mana or pay two and tap and choose a colour. Add to your mana pool an amount of mana of that colour equal to your devotion to that colour. Now, obviously this worked a lot better because I was basically mono-white, and, you know, I'd just name white and then, you know, I could produce three, four, five, six mana, I think it did one turn. <laughs> wow. Yeah, six mana for two mana. It's just plus four mana. It's a land which taps for four white mana. That was pretty insane. Now, I didn't have anything to pump all this white mana into, but it was just allowed me to play a lot more cards, allowed me to get up to the seven mana bestow for the Celestial Archon a lot easier. It did a lot of work. I was really surprised by how powerful Nykthos was. Yeah, I mean... The, the- I had it in one of my pools, but the reason I didn't play it is because it wasn't heavy in either colour, and also I didn't have anything really to put the mana into. Um, I mean, I had a couple of monstrous creatures, but not a whole lot, so I didn't bother running it. But yeah, it seems okay. I mean, the fact that it comes in untapped, and it taps for one mana, means there's literally no downside um, to having it in your deck compared to... I mean, 
you've obviously got the risk of in a in a two or three color deck of not getting the right color of land. But if you're putting this in a three color deck, you're seriously needing to think about what lands you're playing. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, if, I mean it's going to be a, a, the very most a two color deck, and I think you can afford one colorless land when it has this much upside and basically very little downside. So I do really like it. Yeah, I, I think. I think I mentioned last week, it's probably something you want to snap up reasonably early if you're going monocolor and in a monocolor deck, especially the monster, well, a monstrous deck obviously wants it because you know a lot of mana for monstrous. A bestowed deck also wants it because, you know, Celestial Archon, 7 mana, even just getting up to the 4 mana to cast some of the cheaper bestowed creatures, it's nice if you can sort of do that using just sort of the one land effectively. Yeah. <laughs> or ramping into it. I mean, yeah, it's great. It's, it's ramp for any deck. Which is primarily monocolor, which is nice. It's not just ramping green, so. Yeah, I mean, you have to work for it a little bit, but it yeah. pays off if you've, if you've got the right deck for it. Um, I mean, if you are green, then you can always cast that Hydra for some stupid amount. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, have you got an X spell? There's not many X spells, are there? No, that's, that's why I kind of thought of that one, because I've not seen any other X spells. Uh, Curse of the Swine is the only other X spell. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that, I'm not sure you need much more than six or, or so mana for that card, to be honest. Six is probably the most you ever need to cast it for. Yeah. Uh, I, I never played against that, I'm quite glad to say. Um, I didn't either. I, I don't think it's going to be particularly strong in limited, because it just... It's got the chance to kill bombs, but it's not quite worth it when you're killing three threes or four fours to give them two twos. It's a nice bonus, I think, but I don't think it's like a bomb rare. It's a weird shrink effect. Yeah, I think I think honestly that card is going to be insane in Commander, and as you know, other cards that are insane in Commander probably not be particularly good in anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's always the thing of a bad card is, is well, it's still good in Commander. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not too keen on it. Uh, even though it's a blue card, I don't like it. <laughs> I like the tokens it creates, though. Yes, they are very cool tokens. The, the tokens of the set are Spartan pigs, so you can't not like them. Yeah. <laughs> they are pretty cool. Right, moving into my comments, I think I've mentioned all of them, but Vanquish the Foul. Um, six mana, five and a white for a sorcery, which destroys target creature power four, greater scry one. That is always live. There are always big creatures on the battlefield. Yeah, in this set, that's a great card, especially in sealed. Maybe not so much in draft, because it does play a little bit faster. I'll kind of get onto that after, but, um, in sealed, there's basically so many things that this can kill, and there's so little unconditional move on the set. And this is so close to unconditional that it's just really good. Yeah, I, I do not feel bad paying six mana to kill a creature, even though it feels a little bit like um, Tristani's Judgment, and you didn't really feel too bad about playing that either. Yeah, um, I mean it's it's certainly weaker than Tristani's Judgment. Yeah, um, but it is still it, it's good and limited. I mean, it's it's never going to see play outside of limited, no, but no, yeah, no. It's, it is it is good and limited, um, and even. If the draft format is a lot faster, like I think it's going to be, you still can probably afford to play one or two of these because they're going to just be so good against some decks. Although there are, there's every chance that against an aggressive deck, they're not going to be nearly as good because there's quite a few that have a lot of three power and two power things. Yeah, but if you got someone like uh, Anax and Saimidi, you know they're only a three-two, but oh, they've been targeted. They suddenly become a four-three, you know. 
Yeah, that's true. There is that. Um, yeah, even the heroic cards can get to above four power fairly quickly if if you're trying. So yeah, seems pretty good. I always remember in um, in Estrad and Dark Ascension being really wary about getting up to that four power because Smite the Monstrous could just hit you then. Yeah. <laughs> with, with Vanquish the Foul, it's a little bit more expensive, so you care about it a little bit less, and I just think in Theros it's a bit more unavoidable. If, if you're going above four, you, you can't really help it. Like You kind of expect it a lot more, and at least it does take a lot more of your opponent's turn when they cast it against you. Mm-hmm. Is it actually instant speed? I can't remember. It's actually a sorcery. Right, okay, so you don't have to worry about it as a trick to get rid of something. Um, but yeah, it, it seems really expensive for its... Like, for what it does, it is way over-costed, but in this set, it's just necessary. Yeah, I, I think it's a solid removal spell. And of course, it's getting rid of the bigger threats, so you don't feel bad using it. Yeah, even in an aggressive deck, um, you can maybe afford to play this, because even those decks tend to plan on getting to six mana at least a reasonable amount of the time, because there's so many things that fit into the aggressive decks that are also good later. Um, as I was saying, you've got your monstrous things like one of the ones that was that actually won me the the finals of uh one of the previous was the three uh cyclops for four mana that when you give it monstrous it when you activate its monstrosity it becomes a six six with trample so that's that's pretty good um and along with some stuff like stone shock giant as well it just gives you reasonably big guys that you can play preferably on curve, but then if the game goes long, you've got some way to beat other big decks. So your your aggressive deck isn't just dead if you get past turn six or seven with um, more than a reasonable amount of life. Yeah, it's it's entirely different to play this format than most other recent ones. So it's going to take a lot of working out, I think, but getting there. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm enjoying it at the moment. I'm enjoying it so far, which is a good start. It's not absent restored. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> uh, that was something that we kind of had a fear of. We mentioned it on a previous show. I was like, I think it's going to be more like uh, Rise of the Eldrazi, but if it was like uh, Abzan restored, then it's going to be a bit of a failure. <laughs> yeah. So I'm glad it is a bit more along the lines of Rise of the Eldrazi um, in terms of draft style and in general. So hopefully it ends up staying that way and it's not just that I've only seen a little bit of it so I've not quite got enough yet unfortunately I haven't seen t- I haven't been able to play with anything else so outside of these I'm a, I'm a bit blind well I've played as I said I've played two pre-releases um, both of them I picked blue for woo surprise um, <laughs> and the first one I actually did play blue although I probably shouldn't have um, because I opened up Athasa and I was very happy um, to have the blue god, and then ended up kind of just playing blue because I really wanted to. Um, I made the blue, I made blue deck with uh, black because the black in my pool was definitely the strongest. I had Agent of the Fates, and I also had uh, Hero's Downfall and a couple of Lash of the Whip, which are reasonably good removal. Yeah, minus four, minus four, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, and then of course. I had in blue, I had the Kraken as well, the, the promo card that you get, which in one game, when I activated its monstrosity, my opponent just conceded because it's just that ridiculous. It just wins the game on the spot. Yeah, it really does. But yeah, the, the black in my pool was by far the strongest part of it. 
Um, and I was mostly just playing the blue because I went there to play blue that day and I really wanted to play blue in the set. Um, but I did have a couple of nice things like Triton Tactics that done a lot of work for me. And I had a couple of the Prescient Chimeras as well, which has to be for a fire whenever you can in certain sorcery, you get to scrap one. Um, three for a fire for five is actually reasonably good anyway. So having a nice little bonus like that on it is pretty good as well. Um, the other thing I had in my deck at the top of the curve was two Horizon Scholars, which is a 4-4 flyer uh, for six with uh, when it was about a few scry two, um, which on turn six, if you played this with six mana up, um, you're probably, again, not really wanting land. So scry two, essentially draw one, which is quite nice. 4-4 um, flyers, as we said already, are pretty big in this format. So it done a lot of work for me. And there was a couple of games where I like, cast one, because I had two. So I cast one, and my opponent was like, I don't think I can deal with that. And then I cast another one, and it's like, definitely can't deal with those. <laughs> so that was quite nice. Now, last episode, you had a great love for a particular five drop, an 04 wall. Did you get any of them? Well, that's funny, actually. <laughs> um, I got two of mnemonic wall in my theo pool, and well, I had a couple of good black instants um, to kill things and stuff like that. I'm not sure if I should have played them both, um, but I did anyway because, in fact, I even played one of them over a pressing Chimera, which is definitely not the right choice. No. But I just wanted to play with the card. I'd already decided to play blue, which I didn't think was a good colour So, um, in my pool. So I thought, why not? Let's just play with all the cards that I like. And yeah, it, it was fun. I enjoyed it. It was really nice heroes downfalling something early game and your opponent being like, that seems like a waste of a hero's downfall. And then on turn five, going to Monarch Wall, get back hero's downfall. <laughs> Which was quite fun. Um, but there's a few other things you can do as well. Like, if you've, if you've got the March of the Returned, which returns two creatures from your graveyard to your hand, then you kind of got a really insane late game where you can never run out of cards if you've got enough mana to do it. Because you can get that back play it and get the uh, march and then it, well, each time you do that you get another creature from your graveyard as well but it is an insane amount of mana it's like 9 mana to do that mm. and you have to have your wall die in some way so it's maybe not completely likely to come up but it was quite nice having that there just a nice way to get some card advantage but yeah the, the blue wasn't best I think honestly I probably should have played the black and then paired it with uh, red or green or both so yeah, I had some really good multicolored cards, like the Gorgon in green-black, um, which whenever another creature dies, it scries one. You can give it Death Touch for one black, or you can give it Hexproof for one and a green, and it's a 4-5 for four, so it's reasonably well-costed. And I also had the Polis Crusher, the one that's uh, red-green, four mana, for a 4-4 four, four with Trample, Protection of Enchantments, uh, Monstrosity 3 for six mana, and when it deals combat damage to a player, if it's monster, you get to destroy an enchantment, which is obviously a lot better in this set than normal. Now, uh, was, was that a good card? Because I saw Polish Crusher and thought, that, that's got to be good with pro enchantments, but is it? Well, I didn't end up playing it because I didn't end up playing that deck, but I think it is very good. Mm. Um, I mean, even the fact that it's four mana for a 4-4 four, four is already fine. Yeah, um, and it's got crap. So. Yeah, once you add these things onto it, it becomes a lot better. Um, and the thing is, once you get up to 7-7, seven, seven, the two things that are going to deal with it are other monstrous creatures and bestowed creatures. And the fact that this just gets to destroy bestowed creatures is quite nice. 
um, they basically have to keep their patrol creature untapped at all times, or when you get when you attack, you'll be able to monstrosity in response and kill off their enchantments. And even then, their bestow creature might not be good enough to, you know, get in this guy's way because trample means you only have to deal one damage to get the ability as well. Yep. The trample makes a big difference when you're when you're kind of swinging in with him and trying to activate that second ability or trigger that second ability rather. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think between that and the fact that I had a, a a lot of other really good red and green cards to fill out the curve, I think it would have been a, a much better deck. But I had a lot more fun with the blue one, I think, than I would have otherwise. Well, pre-releases are a lot of fun, so you definitely made the right call there. Yeah. Um, I didn't... I was kind of gutted, like... The one thing I, I was, like, going into this is... The main reason I want to play bounce, uh, blue is because bounce is going to be so good. Um, like, it's so much better than in most other sets. Because people are playing massive things, they're monstrosity in them, which is paying a lot more mana. And you can just pay, like, two mana with Voyage's End, or four mana with Griptide to undo all of their work. And it's just a massive tempo boost. Especially when you've got a few flyers that can just keep hitting them in the air. Um, but I didn't get either of them. Like, I got none of them. <laughs> and they just seem so good. I played against someone who had two Voyage's Ends, and basically just... They were massive blows, blowouts every time they cast it. You said right at the beginning you got Thassa in your pool, which makes yeah. you a very lucky get. But how often was Thassa actually a creature? Because one of the questions we had was how easy is it to get to Devotion 5? And I didn't have Devotion 5 terribly often, even with my basically model white deck. So did Thassa actually swing at all? Um, no, it didn't. Uh, well, technically it did but it didn't. <laughs> um, the problem was that a lot of the things I had that were going to stay on the board, like Omen Speaker and the uh, Mnemonic Wall, are both only single blues. They don't actually get you up to Devotion very quickly. So at the time that I actually managed to make her a creature, I had a Mnemonic Wall and an Omen Speaker, and then I had a double blue, I think it was the um, Octopus. And uh, what happened was I attacked with Thassa, and they killed the Octopus. So... Thassa stopped being and didn't get to even hit them, which was a bit disappointing. But yeah, I, I don't think she's great in sealed. She's pretty good because if you've got her out there for a very long amount of time, then you're gaining a lot of kind of card advantage over time from being able to scry away things that you don't need. Um, but it's a massive tempo like loss to play her and, and have her do nothing. Um, and she doesn't give you very much impact for quite a while, so it may just be that I wasn't noticing the impact very much, but I think initially I'm going to say she's just not very good in sealed and certainly not going to be good in draft because of the fact that she's uh, going to be a lot weaker against aggro decks in that case. Right. Um, in sealed, she's got like kind of the fact that you can just use her in a board stall to get all your guys past all their guys is kind of nice. But I'm not sure. I never really had the opportunity to, to get to that point. So I'll be the one convincing you that Thassa should definitely be in a deck when we do our team sealed. Probably, yes. <laughs> I look forward to the challenge. <laughs> I still think she'll be pretty good in Constructed, though. I managed to pick up a second copy later that day as well. So I've got two now, and I'm hoping to use them in Constructed uh, fairly soon to try and make some kind of blue deck. That reminds me of uh, a tweet someone tweeted, I think of both of us, uh, on the Saturday, where a picture of a player we know uh, holding up three facets. 
Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, but that's one more than me. <laughs> Gutted. Uh, however, I did well for my to get an Ashiok to make up for it, so I kind of posted that picture in response of the two Thassas plus the Ashiok. Now, I did ask, did you get all three of them in your pool? And he's like, no, no, one in sealed, two were prizes. So at least it wasn't too ridiculous, but still, seriously, I don't have a god. Feel free to donate. <laughs> oh dear. Well, I might, I might trade you one of my facets if the, if I, the deck doesn't work out. We shall have to see. But it might be quite difficult to get those off me. <laughs> I'm not too surprised. So how did the second pre-release go? Um, well, I'll, I'll quickly say first, the, the first pre-release, um, regardless of the fact that I've played kind of not the optimal colours, um, the deck still played fairly well and like, I, I found myself overvaluing and undervaluing cards massively throughout the day and like some some like trying tactics were a lot better than I thought they were and some were just kind of mediocre but I managed to get four out of nine people so I was kind of happy with how it turned out um, although one of those wins was a buy so I'm, I'm not sure if it was as much of an achievement but I'll take it yeah that, that was unfortunate we only had uh, an odd number of players and we could get the even so the buys yeah but it did probably boost me up to fourth from what would have otherwise been about a sixth or seventh place finish. <laughs> so it was a nice boost. Uh, but yeah, in day two, um, again, I took I took a blue pack. I uh, wanted to play blue because yay blue. Uh, and I was kind of hoping that I would get a much better pool because I'd get a counter spell or two and a bounce spell or two, neither of which I actually got on the first day. I didn't get any counters either. Um, and I did get one counter spell, but I got basically no good blue at all apart from my promo. So the the Kraken was basically the only thing in my entire pool saying play blue. In fact, I think the next best creatures were the Benthic Giants, which are four or five hexproofs for six. Mm. Which, honestly, I don't think are very good, unless perhaps you have an aqueous form, because ain't nothing getting in the way of that ever, and ain't nothing killing that basically ever. (laughs) That is true, yeah. Yeah, there's not a huge amount of ways to interact with uh, an unblockable hexproof four five in this format, so that is something to maybe keep in mind. <laughs> Although there is always the downside that you know you have to use a mediocre card, in fact two mediocre cards in your deck to ever make it have a chance of happening. Um, but yeah, so I didn't play blue. Blue was pretty mediocre. Um, I managed to, however, open the white promo card as a regular card, uh, which was quite nice. So I did have one of the other promos. Then I ended up playing White Red and went super aggressive. So that was quite nice. Just for a change of pace, because the day before I'd been playing more of a controlling deck. And um, I had not as much heroic as I would have liked, or heroic enablers. Hmm. Um, it was a very different style of White Red deck. It had a couple of heroic cards. Um, I think it had the 1-2 which gets plus one, plus one, and prevents damage from a colour whenever it gets heroic, which was quite nice. But no, it was just, it was pretty straightforward uh, aggro deck, with the one thing that I thought was particularly powerful was playing a one-drop like Hopeful Eidolon or the guy I just mentioned, and then putting a two-mana enchantment, uh, two-mana ordeal on it. Right. Like, that goes a, a long way. If they can't muster a defense very quickly, it basically, it just does so much damage. Um, there was one game where my hopeful Eidolon with it on, um, 
just he couldn't get a blocker out quick enough. Because of course, on turn two for me, if I'm on the play, he's only had one mana to play a card, so I'm now attacking with a two-two. There's not a lot that can get in the way of that. And then the next turn, he's got two mana to play a card, and I'm attacking with a three-three. So unless he's played both a one-drop and a two-drop, it's going to be very difficult for him to block it. And then the next turn after that, you obviously get the last character in the trigger. Um, so if it had been a red ordeal, yeah. then I'd be able to then probably get rid of the thing that was going to then block me the next turn. So it just seems very difficult to race or even like defend against that kind of start. And I mean, with a hopeful Eidolon as well, it's got lifelink. So even if it does eventually get dealt with, when I was putting the white ordeal on it, I was at like 36 life <laughs> by the by the time it came up. Because I was like hitting for two, hitting for three, hitting for four, and then gaining 10. So that's 19 life that I've gained. So it's, it's a lot of life that you gain very quickly. Although I have to say, life gain, not really that great normally. So that probably wasn't necessary. And I don't think it came up that game that I was on 39 life because I'd already done so much damage to my opponent. Um, but yeah, I think seriously, one drop into the red ordeal is going to be a very, very fast, aggressive start for some decks that just can't, won't be able to deal with it at all. Unfortunately, I never got it caught any ordeals, and the only thing I got one played against me, which I dealt with after the first counter got put on. You know, I let them attack, and then I killed them during, you know, blockers or whatever, so. The ordeals have the same problem as, like, other auras, that you can get two for one quite easily. Um, just because there's some enchantments in this deck, like the bestow creatures, and the ones that give you a card when they come into play, that make it a lot harder for your opponent to two for one you, that doesn't make all of the enchantments. Um, guaranteed to kind of get value. Um, the ordeals are probably the riskiest, but I think some of them, in, namely the blue and the red one, give you easily enough reward for accomplishing it that they're they're definitely playable. And in some cases, like that situation just there, they could be really insane. Hmm, I look forward to trying that out. I mean, another thing that's really good is like maybe a vaporkin. If you were to put, if you were to play a vaporkin and then ordeal it up on the next turn, again, unless they have removal which there's so little of in this set, um, they're taking so much damage from that. It's just going to go most of the way towards killing them. So I was very impressed by the ordeals when I played them, and I was also kind of destroyed by them in the one occasion that an opponent done that to me. Um, but yeah, so I, I managed to do that a couple of times in my pre-release deck, and I was very happy when I did, but the rest of the decks mostly came down to me just attacking with too many dudes for my opponent to be able to deal with. Um, and then... Sometimes, when the game did go long, uh, monstrous creature and then bestow something on it or something like that to just get the, the last bits of damage in. I mean, there was one point when I made that guy into 6-6 six, six trample and then I put two of the red bestow creatures on it. So it became a 10-10 it became a first strike trample, mm-hmm. which it's just, yeah, okay, how are you going to block that and survive um, in any kind of way? So, yeah, that, that was quite nice. That's how I won the final, which was... <laughs> a very cool way to win the final. In style. Yeah. <laughs> I've got this little aggressive deck that's attacking with little creatures, and yeah, suddenly I have the biggest creature that you have ever seen. Probably not, but big enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, one of the cards I didn't get to play with that I thought was really good was uh, Thassa's Emissary. It's a four-mana blue bestow creature. Uh, it's a 3-3, three, three, and whenever it deals damage to an opponent, you get to draw a card. Or whenever the thing it's bestowed to deal damage, you get to draw a card. Yeah, it's six to bestow, and it just 
like when on the turn that you bestow this, it basically always gets a card. And six is not that expensive either, really, for the the kind of bonus that you're given something. So getting a free card out of it, making something huge. If it's a flyer, kind of making something into a dragon, basically. Um, and then just doing so much damage and drawing even more cards because odds are they can't deal with your massive guy in there. It just seems like a very strong card. And the fact is, even when they kill the the creature it's enchanted to, or even when you cast it on its own, it's perfectly good. Like, a 3-3 with that ability is well above curve for what we normally get. Like, if you look at Scroll Thief, Scroll Thief is 3 mana for a 1-3 with that ability. So adding one more mana is giving you two more power, which makes it a lot more formidable. Um, Like, there's so many things that can just block Scroll Thief and not care. But if you've got a 3-3, then it's either going to trade with some things or it's not going to get blocked by things like Omen Speaker, which otherwise would get in the way. So it is. it seems a lot better than I thought it would be. So I was very impressed by that. Yeah, the difference between 6 and 7 mana was quite a big thing. There was a lot of times which I wanted to bestow my Celestial Archon, and it didn't have a 7th mana, and that was... Mm, yeah. Game. I... In one game, I didn't end up bestowing it for a while, and I didn't cast it either. I probably should have just cast it as a creature, um, but I waited and then bestowed it um, a few turns later. I probably shouldn't have waited for the 7th mana. Sometimes it can take a lot of time to just show up. Yeah, that 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 definitely is uh, an awkward decision to make. There was one game where I could have, I had two of the Elidans in hand, and I just held them. I just wanted to enchant something. Yeah, and I'm not entirely sure it was the right choice. Like I I I lost. I was going to lose that game at any rate, but I'm yeah trying to decide whether to hold someone back to bestow it later or just play the creature out now. Uh, yeah, it's it's something I haven't quite worked out yet. Well, yeah, it can be really difficult. Like. The first game I played in the second pre-release, actually, one of my opponents had the white uh, Dryad, I think it's Observant Alcid, mm. um, which is 2-2 two, two with Vigilance for 3 mana, or you can wait and you can bestow it. Um, I think it's 5 to bestow. Um, but yeah, for in the match that we played, I was, as I said, it was a really aggressive deck, and he didn't want to play it on turn 3 because he didn't feel like he was getting the right value out of it. And if he had played it on turn three, there's a very good chance that he would have survived long enough to win that game. But as it was, he just got overrun by creatures. So I think you have to be careful not to try and hold on to bestow creatures for too long. It's very easy to do, to want to get full value of a card. But sometimes it just does so much more for you if you just play it straight away. Yes, sometimes the correct decision is just to play Snapcaster Mage to flash and to kill something without actually any extra benefit. Well, I definitely know about that one before. I have flashed in two Snapcaster Mages to kill an opposing Garrick before. <laughs> so, this was obviously unconstructed, but yeah, the, the first Snapcaster Mage targeted a removal spell to take care of the token. The second one was just to get an extra two damage on the Garrick, which was quite fun. So, it, sometimes you just can't take full value of a card. I mean, let's remember, some of the value of the cards is the fact you have the option. Remember, it's an option. This is not a, you know, Observant Alcyon is not a 5-mana give target creature plus 2, plus 2, and Vigilant when it dies, create a 2-2 two, two Vigilant creature. Exactly. I mean, that's why they're so powerful, like, these cards, because you have the choice. Mm-hmm. Um, like, being able to cast something from multiple modes has always been particularly powerful, and was actually the reason that Green Sun Zenith got banned in Modern, so... Like, Green Sun Zenith is basically any green creature in your deck for plus one mana, which is just far too strong, just because it has that versatility. 
So, yeah, the, the, the options that you get with these cards make them a lot better than they would have been if they just had this one mode. Especially since you wouldn't be able to play nearly as many of them in a deck if you couldn't sometimes just play them as a three mana tutu. And honestly, I think the, the, the ones that this is kind of most important with is the blue one and the red one, um, which are particularly good on their own because the blue one is basically just a Windrake if you cast it on its own, which is a perfectly good limited card. And mm-hmm. um, the red one is two power of first strike for three, which is again a perfectly good limited card. Definitely, yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, waiting to bestow these, especially in, in a red deck which wants to be aggressive, just really isn't always the right choice. Just being able to fill out your curve with them is a lot stronger. Cause that's the thing, a lot of people forget that just curving out is the mo- the, usually the most powerful thing that you can do in limited. Cause it just means that people can't deal with your deck in the speed that, in the amount of time that they have. So, yeah, it's, it's way more important to just cast these if you don't have anything better to do. I mean, if I had something that was marginally worse to do, then I would do that because then you still have the option later of bestowing the creature. But if there isn't something that's at least reasonable to play, just play it instead. It's just silly told on to it, really. And it's probably cost quite a lot of people games this weekend, I think, yeah, trying to hold on to them. Yeah, being greedy and trying to get everything you can out of the card. Yeah. I mean, I've lost games for that before, for trying to get more out of a card than I really should have. So I know, I know, <laughs> I know about the temptation. And and as a blue player, I, I know about the the temptation for value in particular. <laughs> um, but no, it just you can't do it. It's just not worth it. But hey ho, hopefully people will pick that up fairly fairly soon within the limited format and you know start casting their guys yeah. as normal creatures. Yeah, don't be greedy. You need a board presence. Yeah. yeah. Um, another thing actually that that another card I've just spotted. Um, in front of me, which was really impressive, was Minotaur Skullcleaver, um, which is three mana for a 2-2 Minotaur, but it has haste, and when it comes into battlefield, it gets plus two, plus oh. It's a bit like the Viashino from uh, Dragon's Maze, with a similar style of ability. Yeah, the first blade. Yeah. It actually, especially if you end up in a race in this format, the extra four damage coming in unsurpri- like coming in and, and surprising your opponent can do a whole lot for you like it, it makes such a difference being able to just surprise them with that four damage that they just weren't counting on at all because there isn't a massive amount of haste in this format at all yeah that's true i can't think of many although the hammer gives everything haste doesn't it well yeah but i mean they, they see that one coming a, like a mile away because you've already got it out most of the time yeah. if you're able to play the hammer and then play a decent sized creature you've gotten to a point in the game where you, you've probably lost or, or whatever anyway. Um, having said that, the hammer is a card I had in my deck. So I did get to play with it, and it was very good at creating three threes um, in a long game to just overpower an opponent's defences. So like getting that damage in early, having them at a fairly lowish life total, and then being able to just create a 3-3 three, three every turn uh, is very strong. Um, there was one game where my opponent didn't quite think about how it would work when I left three man open past the turn and then at the end of his turn made a golem and at the start of my turn made another golem. They hadn't counted on that extra three damage. So um it was a very strong card in that situation, but it was good even when your opponent did pick up on everything. So I was I was impressed by the hammer. The hammer I think is probably going to be 
the best weapon in Limited, just because it gives you that end game, and it gives you that end game inevitability. It gives you the reach in the end game. Yeah, it does. Whereas I don't think the rest of them are quite as good as that. The whip is quite good as well, I think, but a lot of the other ones require a bit more to work. The the whip just gives everything lifelink. That seems pretty. The whip, given lifelink, can be good, um, and it gets things to come back and attack once, which isn't nearly as good, I don't think, in limited as getting a three three that can attack and then stick around if it's not if it doesn't trade or kill anything. Mm, I suppose. So I don't know. Like maybe the black one is slightly better in a long game, but the red one is a lot more versatile. Like it's good early-ish and it's good late as well. Like even playing this in turn three and then playing a four drop and a five drop that both get haste is quite big when your four drops and your five drops have four and five power. Interesting enough, I did actually have the hammer as uh, part of my steel pool, but I decided not to run it mostly because you know it was very slimly and red, and I just didn't want to run something with the double red. I wasn't sure how good it'd be. You wear more white than red, so that makes sense. I think a lot more, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although I mean, the fact that once you've got two mountains to activate, uh, two mountains to play it, it's only one mountain to activate, so you don't have to kind of give up all of your red that turn, the next turn to activate it if you wanted to, which means you can play extra red spells as well. But I don't know. It's it's it does make sense not to play it in a in a red splash deck, but it it definitely overperformed in my two color deck. Um, but yeah, there's, there's so many other cards that overperformed. Like enchantment removals, obviously a lot better than it would have otherwise been. Um, one of the things I saw that was particularly good that a lot of people just didn't even count on and got like two for one by was they attack with a bestowed creature. You destroy the enchanted the enchantment yeah, and, and then, then just block the creature and yeah, kill it. Definitely done that. That that was quite. Uh, a nice trick to have that most people didn't play around either, so you you got away with that one quite a bit. Um, so yeah, it, it, instant speed and enchantment removal does a lot, and even like I'm not sure if there is anything that sorcery speed, but I would still play it. Like I would play at least one enchantment removal spell in any deck in the main deck. Oh yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be live. The second one is probably sideboard. Um, for the decks where it's going to shine. But the thing is, every single deck will have at least one enchantment. So it's never going to be dead. Like even, like even just the dryads in each color are going to be a possibility. Yeah. So that works quite well. Sorry, they're not all dryads. They're nymphs. The, the green one is a dryad. <laughs> that, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're all nymphs except for the nymph dryad. And, uh, interestingly enough, I think one creature got given nymph. Which was a nymph in the name. Oh, okay. From before Theros, and it's now finally Nymph Dryad as well. So there's two Nymph Dryads kicking about. <laughs> nice. That makes sense, I guess. Yeah. Right, I think we've probably been talking for long enough. I imagine people may be, uh, wondering when this podcast can end, so maybe we should just wrap this up at this stage. Yeah, I mean, it, it has been a fairly rambly podcast as well, which we've been chatting about our pre-releases, so. Yeah, that, 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 yeah, that bit on Cardiff I didn't quite mean to go for quite so long, but, uh. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the news is probably a lot longer than normal. Yeah. Right. Anyway. Let's... You still have a bit of news to look forward to. That's true, yes, yes. After the credits. If we, you we've want. already recorded it, but yeah, if you want to hear about the Face the Hydra deck, what's inside it, then, uh, please do listen after the music. One last thing before I actually wrap up the show. 
MTG Cast, who currently hosts the show alongside where we're hosting on delving into draft.tumblr.com. There is talk going on that it may not be around for terribly much longer. There's a lot of uncertainty about what's happening with MTG Cast. Um, it costs a lot of money for the people who run it to run it. It costs a lot of time, their personal time, which are not getting compensated for. And there's some questions going around about if MTG Cast is still going to uh, be around, if it needs to change ownership, what's going to happen. So I just want to warn people, um, if MTG Cast does disappear, and who knows, it could really be sudden. There may be a, a long announcement and everybody has plenty of time to be aware. We just don't know. There's a lot of uncertainty going around. If you want to keep on track with us, uh, our Tumblr page, draft.tumblr.com, uh, Facebook, um, we're on Twitter. Follow us, because if MTG Cast goes away, we'll still be contactable through those avenues. And if, for example, the podcast moves to a different place, then obviously you won't be able to find us on MTG Cast to learn where we're going. So as I do the outro, we're going to give you all the links. If MTG Cast goes away, this is how to get in touch with us. This is how to keep in track with us, just in case it happens. Because there's just a lot of uncertainty at the moment. This may be all sort of rumour. This may be something which is about to happen any second. I just don't know. It's uh, it's like Schrodinger's cat. We haven't looked inside the box yet, and we're really scared to do so, because the cat may already be dead. Just don't know at the moment. So I just want to warn people um, about that. Right, warning out of the way, we can now do the outro. We're on Tumblr at downwardsdraft.tumblr.com. You can download a podcast from there, regardless of MTG cast, and you also get your podcasts there from us first. We're also on Facebook at Delving into Draft. Uh, our email address is dominicdraft.gmail.com. I'm on Twitter as Ravak underscore. Dan is Darkhand the Mad. Your host for this week were me, Craig, and you, Dan. That's me. The intro and outro music is by Kevin McLeod. The name of the song is A Cannery, and it is Roy for Free Music licensed under the Creative Commons by Tributation 3.0. through the power of editing we're at the end of the show let's talk about the face of Hydra deck <laughs> so I suppose we should cover the basic rules the deck has a number of cards in it there are sorceries as I remember um, there are heads and that's it yes so the heads are creatures and um, you either get regular Hydra heads or there's the elite Hydra heads as far as I remember, the normal Hydra heads don't do anything in particular, but each of the elite heads do have different effects. Yeah, that's right. And um, what happens at the, at the beginning of the event, um, there's a little sort of poster which comes with the Face of Hydra pack, which you kind of lay down flat, and it's got all the rules for how it works and five slots for the heads, because the idea is you basically start with so many Hydra heads in play, and... Whilst there's sort of an easy, normal, and hard mode, which I think is three, four, and five heads, or is it two, three, and four heads, there's no recommendation based on the number of players, which is a bit odd. So, mm, however yeah. many number of heads you want to face is kind of your choice. With no I real... think the idea is kind of like one per player, I think. I mean, yeah, that's what most people are probably going to end up doing. I feel it may actually be like one per player plus one, possibly, because easy starts at two, but... Yeah, that could be right. And... um there's a global rule for the face of Hydra deck, which basically at the beginning of its upkeep, I want to say, each each player fighting against the Hydra takes one damage for each untapped head. But there are ways to tap heads, so it's not just um, over too quickly. Yeah, there's ways to tap heads on its turn and obviously on your turn. In fact, some of the sorcery cards that the Hydra cast itself um, tap its own heads. 
Yeah. Whenever you attack the Hydra, you get to choose to instead actually deal damage to one of its heads, and each of its heads have power and toughness, I seem to recall. Yeah, well, they're all they're all power zero, um, and the basic ones are toughness three, but they get the elite ones are obviously higher toughness. And then whenever you kill a head, you reveal the top two cards of the Hydra deck and put any heads revealed that way into play. Yes. Um, but otherwise you just reveal the top card of the deck and then resolve it, whether it's a head which goes into play or a sorcery which you then need to resolve. Yep. And they all do various things. Like there's uh, some that deal direct damage unless a player does something and it's just, I don't know, like they feel like kind of like arch enemy style cards but a lot weaker in the way that they work. They're all... I seem to remember they're all global effects. Yeah, they're all like each player. Or I think there's one or two that target a specific thing. Um, like, one of them actually ta- it taps one of the, ones, the Hydra's head, so I think the player gets to choose... The players, as a group, get choose which head gets tapped. If there is a decision needing to be made. I'm not sure if anything else requires a decision like that or not. I think most decisions are... Each player has to pick something. Like, yeah. Chooses whether, like, I think one may be like you get to sacrifice a creature, and if you do, you gain three life. But if you don't, something else happens. I can't. I, I'll be honest. I can't quite remember exactly how any of the cards are worded. No. <laughs> Which is a bit of a problem, I suppose. But yeah, they, they seem to be quite strong in some cases. Like they, they seem to do a lot of direct damage. Like the numbers of like deal five damage or tar- or players lose five life is actually quite common. So lifelink will probably be a decent thing to have going into this, and Angel's Mercy may actually be a card if it was still in stack. <laughs> and of course, remember that the the heads dealing one damage per head to every player as well means that you're going to take quite a bit of damage from this. Now, and and blockers won't help you because they don't actually attack. That's right. The heads just sit there waiting to be hit, but they do not actually hit themselves. Yes. Uh, unless it's a delete head, which has an effect. However, there was... I very quickly noticed a flaw with this, um, and this was because it's the same flaw which uh, was suffered by the World of Warcraft dungeon decks. None of these cards have a mana cost, um, because the Hydra just plays it. You know, they reveal the top card of the Hydra's deck, either it's a sorcery which just gets cast, or it's a head which just goes into play, and then when you kill a head, you reveal the top two, and any heads revealed just go into play. So things just enter play, you know, it doesn't have a hand... It just reveals the top card and that results. Because nothing <laughs> has a mana cost, everything has a CMC of zero, and this means something like Ratchet Bomb, with zero counters on it, kills all the heads. Yeah. <laughs> Seems a little bit too strong. <laughs> Anything which cares about mana cost, the mana cost is always zero, so you could... I'm not actually sure if countering works, but if you can counter stuff, then you can syncopate for, what, zero, one? Well, you'd have to syncopate for one, because... That's true. A cost of zero is assumed to be paid. But, yeah, that's one very easy way to start being the Hydra. Now, it's not the only way, because whenever a card on the battlefield goes to any other zone, it just goes to the graveyard. So if you can bounce a creature, a bounce ahead, it just goes to the graveyard. Unsummon OP. <laughs> Unsummon is the new Doomblade. Although, one thing I did notice is it doesn't even say that it's a standard magic deck you're supposed to use against it. I'm pretty sure it is inferred somewhere that you do have to play a standard deck. I think that'll be the sort of general thing that people go for, but uh, and just in the rules, that it, as they read, it doesn't say that you have to play standard. 
So right. I thought it quite funny considering that stuff like Lightning Bolt can quite easily kill a head on turn one as well. The other thing is milling. Certain mill cards will kill them outright. Um, Mind Grind, which mills until you hit a land. There are yeah. no lands in the face <laughs> of Hydra deck. You, you Mind Grind for one. One blue-black. Next turn, they draw a cut all the way if they lose. Yeah, it doesn't, it seems like a pretty fallible, um, deck to, or, or thing to come up with for it. Yeah, I, I remember this because the dungeon decks in the World of Warcraft trading card game, there were row cards which basically, you named a number and you got rid of all the cards of like the number, so you just named zero, you know, CMC zero, and they just got rid of everything in the dungeon deck. Wow. And it was yeah, just that- like, yeah, that's, that's really broken. Seems a bit kind of not what they were going for with it. <laughs> but unfortunately, this this offers the same thing. As I say, Ratchet Bomb kills everything. Unsummons Doomblade. Um, Mind Grinders win the game. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, obviously, um, now that we've told you, you now have this information, and you can go in throwing all those cards into the one deck and just win that way. Not very fun or challenging. I feel that hopefully people will actually have a sneak peek like we were able to get see this massive flaw in these decks and just have a custom ban list of cards because otherwise, you know, the first Ratchet Bomb in play wins the game, the first Mind Grind Resolve wins the game, and even if you're not winning the game, then Unsummons very quickly help and everybody knows to run Lifelink. So it well, becomes a lot easier, I feel. I think the other thing is that um, the there isn't any real reward apart from the... I mean, the only thing you get is the hero card for beating it. This is true. And... To be honest, shops are not going to be particularly fussy about giving them away in the first place. So I think the whole point of the Face of Hydra thing is to actually just take a deck and have fun doing it. There's not much point in going in there with like an OP power game deck and just going, yeah, okay, I win. <laughs> I mean, you could always have one of those as a backup just in case your have fun deck doesn't quite win and you'd really want the card anyway and your store owner doesn't want to just hand you it. But... Honestly, I think it'll be a lot better for people to just go along with something that's got de- fairly decent creatures and, I don't know, maybe maybe a bit of life gain, like maybe play it a little bit, but not to the point where you're putting ratchet bombs in your deck just to beat it. So, I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'm probably going to end up doing something like that rather than just trying to go OP, but it, as it's a team thing, you never know. Some of the other people that you're playing with might do it anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, you can play the solo if you really want, um, but... Yeah, just be sensible. I mean, it's easy to break. Are you going to do that? It's not going to be much fun for anyone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what's Ratchet Bomb again? Two mana. I mean, we do really want a card that just says, if this is turn two or greater, win the game. I mean, it doesn't necessarily win on the spot, because there's going to be more heads could come out when that happens. Well, this is true. So it doesn't necessarily win on the spot, but it does give you a very decent chance of winning the thing quickly if you're playing these. Especially since any player can have them, because they're colourless. So yeah, if you're playing it like three or four player and everyone's just to shove four ratchet bombs in the back, it's just stupid. Yeah, exactly. So be sensible. Um, it defeats the purpose to just basically try and beat it like that. Yeah, so... Have fun, don't power game, you know. It is meant to be a fun event. I mean, the game day is where you're meant to bring your competitiveness. This uh, Face of Hydra is where you're meant to have a bit more fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you could always just say that you'll use the same text that you used at the thing, um, but, you know, those could be particularly good anyway, <laughs> depending on how competitive your store is. Yeah, that that may be fine. Just don't, don't you know, pull out those Ratchet Bombs and those Mind Grinds, or just don't play them when you draw them. Yeah. Yeah. Eh. 
I'll, I'll probably have a go at it anyway. It seems fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Um, I'm not sure what I'll play, but obviously not something broken, because misses the point. Yeah. But I'm already trying to think about what I want to play for game day anyway. <laughs> so many options. Standards all new. <laughs> yeah, I won't lie, I haven't thought about this yet. But then again, knowing me, I'll work it out the night before the game day and then ask to steal a whole bunch of cards from you. Yeah, or I could just hand you a deck again. You know, we'll do it. this has happened before. <laughs> this has happened before. I have no shame in admitting it. I mean, I still have to pile up the deck to victory. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't have to own the cards. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, so, anyway, that's everything I think about the Hydra deck. Have fun. Indeed, have fun. Uh, that is game day on the... Mm, 20th. 19th. 19th and 20th? Yes. So yeah, have fun, 19th and 20th of October, win your game day, beat your Hydra, get your, remember, get your hero card for beating the Hydra, it's a Slayer card, and yeah. you start the game with additional 7 life. Very important going forwards into the next two uh, challenge. Uh, Could be. If, if life is as good in the challenge as it seems to be for this one, then that will be a very useful hero card. Yeah, 7 life could be quite a lot, so make sure you beat the Hydra, fairly, and uh, get your reward. Mm-hmm. I do find it quite funny that the hero card gives you the same effect as the card Heroes Reunion does. <laughs> it, it seems quite appropriate there. <laughs> nice. nice.